Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back. I say back because I know this can't be your first time. And if it is... Welcome to the Game Dev Unchained podcast, the number one podcast for video game development, the lifestyle of developers, and all those wonderful stories that we like to bring up once a week, every Tuesday morning. I'm one half of the team bringing you this awesome podcast. The other half, much like Peter Pan himself, never growing up, Mr. Brandon Fam. Coming, <laughs> coming from Neverland, <laughs> join me on this journey. So if you have read the title, you know what this is about. Again, we had to further delay the GDC interviews that we've done. Hopefully next week, I think so. We're going to resume those mm-hmm. because the news is juicy, man. The news is juicy, and another studio is biting the dust. And we have to do another Glassdoor confession this time on Bioware. So this is getting too frequent. We never planned for Glassdoor confessions, but it's happening every six or seven episodes, right? So the rhythm of AAA Studios fucking up <laughs> is just happening on its own. And again, we're going to, as we go through this episode, it's the same issues and same problems that you might guess at. So before we start that off, let ex- let's explain to viewers and listeners out there what Glassdoor Confession is, right? Glassdoor Confession started with reading off of Glassdoor anonymous reviews and kind of going and breaking it down, right? Uh, we will start off with that to kind of give an overview, but we're going to go into a combination of journalists, articles, rumors, gossip, and then, uh, you know, anonymous sources from our friend group about what what is happening, what happened at Bioware. And we won't say names because we don't want to lose all our friends. <laughs> right. So, Larry, as best as you can, can sure. you kind of give an overview of who Bioware is for viewers and listeners out there that don't know? Sure. And before I mess that up completely, also, again, these are our comments and critiques when we are offering our opinion. It's just that opinion. Uh, you know, don't let our employers know we're over here talking smack about other companies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because it's not there. It's not there. Uh, what do you call that? These are not the um, opinions of our employer, but it's just wherever that disclaimer is that you see on TV all the time, apply it to this podcast. Now, getting into it. So Bioware is actually a game developer with a lot of prestige. They made a lot of good games over the years that people have grown to love. You know, you get the Mass Effect series coming from Bioware, uh, games like Dragon Age, uh, Big epic adventures with lots of branching dialogue and narrative choices is what I would say has been their bread and butter for as long as I've known them. Uh, I'm not a huge player of Bioware games, so if I've left something out, forgive me there. But there's been a little bit of mix up in the company in regards to what the main or A team in Bioware will be developing and what the B team at Bioware will be developing. It seems like we had 
a team that was building on Mass Effect, kind of giving up the reins of that game. And that actually went to, you know, what they would call the B team out in the video game public. We got Mass Effect Andromeda. And, you know, there's been lots of commentary on that game specifically. Bioware bounces back by saying, hey, you know, don't feel bad, you know, because our guys have been cooking up something really cool. It's this game called Anthem. It's going to be the actual looter shooter that people want to play Everything that people are complaining about in all these other games that are looter shooters, we took what was done wrong. We've added the Bioware look. We've added the Bioware feel and the twists. And we came up with this great idea called Anthem. And they've released Anthem. And Anthem ain't doing so hot right now, unfortunately. And one of the things I actually want to throw out there was I had I heard some rumblings that if Anthem didn't like sell something like 8 million copies out the gate, the EA would consider closing the doors at Bioware just because of their recent track record not being, you know, what shareholders would call positive trajectory. Uh, I'll, I'll say that, Brandon, you got some. No, it's true. Yeah. So uh, in traditional sense, this segment is called Glass of Confession. So let's just go ahead and give you an overview over at Glassdoor. Yeah. Again, Glassdoor doesn't sponsor us. These are opinions of our own. We're just going over there, checking them out. It's a great resource for a lot of game developers out there, especially before, after, during the interview stage, really giving the grit and the reality of what the company is doing and how they're performing. Right? I use it all the time before I go to a job place and uh, decide. So right from the top, all right, if you're viewing this, you can see what I see. But listeners, I just typed in Bioware. Again, Bioware is made of multiple studios, their main one being Ed Mountain, which were the which are the Mass Effect guys, or what's what left of them. Yeah. So uh from the very top, the overall rating of the studio is 3.8, which is uh pretty good. Right. So the approval of CEO is uh, abnormally really high, 99%. <laughs> Holy. Right? So that's that's really good. And 74% of people who left reviews were recommended to friends. So I would say they are off to a great start, mm-hmm. right? The overall pro and con at the very top of the page, if you're listening, you can do this and look at it at, in your own uh, time. But the pros is great purple uh, people to work with, good focus on work-life balance. All right, 15 reviews kind of agree to that. Fantastic culture, family-oriented, and friendly. Six reviews agree to that. Cons are there's little to no help with career progression, short of occasional suggestion of openings at the same studio, poor decision-making processes, and tendency to revisit every decision. Damn. So the funny thing with pros and cons is that sometimes it feels like they kind of cross each other out (laughs) in a very direct way. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. But uh, I I usually like looking at this in order of dates because that gives us the most recent review of things. In the very top, March 17th, 2019, the quotation mark is titled, Can Be a Good Place. Right. Can be. Can be. Like every other studio ever in the industry can be a good place. Has the potential to. Yeah. So that's already juicy. Right. It's four stars overall. That's good. And this person that left his anonymous review was at Bioware full time for more than five years. Yes. Former employee. Former employee. Pros are good pay, good benefits, nice people. All right. That those are like great terms that you can copy paste to any studio. (laughs) 
The cons are it doesn't get the recognition the studio deserves compared to the main Edmonton studio. So obviously this person's working uh it looks like in Austin, Texas. Ooh, I think this uh, is that A team B team yeah. culture that we were talking about. So for for listeners out there, A and B team, if you haven't worked at like a satellite studio or any of that, uh even though you get the name recognition of what the primary team is right you're always going to be viewed and assist and and all that in support of right so no one really takes you seriously and uh in a weird way you know even if you have your own set of leads at your own studio you're always answering to the main leads right and i'm sorry for anybody who is working at a sister studio or like uh, a satellite studio uh i mean it probably isn't exactly like that but often times you feel that way yeah. and let's be honest like if you're a primary studio you kind of treat the other studios kind of like supportive right so a lot of that bleeds over when you can see these type of reviews uh but oh, like I, i'm gonna read the titles right on, off the top before we get in and dive into the real juicy part which has happened and unfolded the last couple of weeks, right? We see everything from October 16th in 2018, one of the overall best places I've worked at. The people are great. The benefits are great. The studio is awesome. But the cons are transparency seems to be an issue. Meeting or private space can sometimes be an issue. It's a, it's a big issue <laughs> not knowing what's going on. So. The transparency one, I will co-sign 100%. I hate it if I'm working for a studio that's not telling the truth about what's happening. Meeting or private space, uh, I'm not, myself, not going to quit over that. But Right, right. And let's be honest, like, they are the Mass Effect team. They are a proven team. Yeah. Not just one, but they create a franchise that is very beloved yeah. and EA is crazy about, right? Four so games in the series, right? Four well, three games in the series, but Andromeda is was the <laughs> you don't count you don't count Andromeda. Uh, hey, EA doesn't even count Andromeda. <laughs> like they were racing to the shelves to take them off as <laughs> as fast as they put it on, right? So uh and that, you know, uh, that that's pretty much it. And then we'll, I'll read one more before we uh, leave Glassdoor. Uh, this one is from October 3rd, 2018. Uh, software developer in Edmonton, main studio, Canada, right? Great place to work in the game industry. The pros are worked with passionate people who care about the product, compensated time off at end of projects. Dinners provided for overtime. Fuck yeah, you better. Exciting and fast pace, uh, like whipping, whipping the, <laughs> whipping the lash. Uh, and then cons: regular overtime is necessary to meet project commitments. Damn. That's a tough one right there. Regular overtime is necessary. Hey, in, but not only is it frequent, but it has to be that way. Is what yeah. that sentence is saying to me. But Larry, if I go back to two two sentences, it says dinners were provided during those required overtime. It's like saying, "Yeah, I got raped, but at least I used Vaseline." Like, I, I and I don't mean to say that like so lightly for anybody who has gone through some some sort of like Traumatic trauma like event, that in yeah. real life. But you get the reference. All right, projects usually overrun their deadlines which is bad planning, poor decision-making processes and a tendency to revisit. Oh, we see this again, revisit every decision. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had 
from my personal experience, and Larry, maybe you can share yours, <laughs> about the frustration of throwing away work, right? Yeah. And a lot of that is because it's bad pre-production. And usually, in my experience, bad leads, mm-hmm. right? People who are like, hey, I don't know exactly what I want, but I'll see it. Once I see it, I know. It's like, oh, great. So we're going to do this dance. <laughs> we're going to do this dance and we're going to redo things and we're going to throw away a lot of work. So it's a different mentality to kind of get through the day, knowing that more than half your work might be thrown away and levels being cut. Right. It's very disheartening. And it's actually the road to burnout for a lot of developers out there. So when they mention poor decisions and revisiting every decision, it uh, it's very draining. Right. So uh, advice to management, this person says, is listen to the project managers and keep projects on schedule. Start revisiting project. Oh, my God. It keeps coming up. Right. So this one is a three star. So, Larry, can you kind of share, at least on the design side, how this affects you when things are being redone and all that stuff? Well, for me, my frustration level obviously will ramp up depending on how much work has gone into the thing that is trash. For example, if we all have a discussion and agree that we're going to go in a direction and then I come back, you know, maybe four months later with my finished product that someone has seen or evaluated and somebody outside of that circle, but higher up than us is like, oh, no, change everything. We're going in this direction now. That sucks, right? You know that all that work is not going to see the light of day, no matter how excited or how much effort or how many overtime hours were put into that thing. That thing just became trashed and you just saw three months of your life, essentially your three months of your life and productivity going down the drain. So that's always a tough one. And it happens a lot in the game industry, just at every level. But from my standpoint, I don't mind if I have to scrap a paper map. I don't mind if I have to scrap a block out, but like when we're talking like interdepartmental resources are being used like animations and, you know, getting uh, effects done and, you know, getting, you know, these scripted sequences all to hook up. And then I find out like, Oh, this whole half of the map is going to get cut, figure it out. You know what I mean? That's, it's always super tough. It's tough. The sad part is if you really think about it, that's work that's been designed approved, right? First pass approved, implemented second pass approved, like ready to go to start doing like the final stuff. And that far down the line, somehow we're making either a change to the story or just some we're we have to cut for whatever reason. I always get upset when I was like that reason that we're cutting for was something that we evaluated early on. And we decided that we wanted to go in that direction. Like we, we, we raised concerns. We had discussion, we presented cases for and against, and we decided that as a unit, we're going to move left. It hurts to then be left and then realize like, Oh dang, you know what? Right. Was the right way to go. And because we have all these resources, just do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that hurts. That really does. It really hurts because really hurts. this, this by the byproduct of this mentality uh, teaches the developer to not care as much, right? Yep. Because by not caring as much, you don't hurt as much as uh, when you're, something you're working on, your baby gets thrown out, right? So it really does drain and burn out developers very fast if the process gets repeated over and over and especially when you feel like it's over like this is not happening anymore it strikes you when you least expect it and then it really brings you down so i I definitely uh understand this and i've been in that position myself and uh it's definitely some built 
ass armor <laughs> of like just making sure that you know you get care just enough to get through the day to get your work done and um don't have to hear it at your end of the year reviews right and uh i'll read one more because this well, is kind of juicy one I do but before to, i move on yeah i do want to say one thing as well it's like if in a situation like we were talking about as well where you know everyone is like hey let's not do this but we're deciding that we're going to do it anyway that vindicated person who's like, I brought this up like months ago and nobody listened. They're usually never like excited to just be like, I'm going to go along with the team again. You know what I mean? Like it starts to break down some of those trust bonds between people who can clearly see BS coming and warns everybody <laughs> that it's coming. Right. Mm-hmm. When that person is proven right, but it's, it's too late because they're in the shit as well. It's never a good feeling that look out for that person to see like how long until they put in their two weeks notice. Exactly. Exactly. You're just seeing people clenching their fists and just staying quiet. So this last one is juicy. I'm just going to read this before we move on. Uh, It says experience studio gambling on its future. This is from July 18, 2018, right? Uh, Four star review, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's an anonymous employee in Edmonton, their main studio, right? This guy was on the ground and was there for three, more than three years. Mm -hmm. The pros are many talented individuals and a knack for delivering top quality work opportunities to work on interesting and groundbreaking technology ability to step outside comfort zone, explore new territory makes for interesting and changing work. Right. He really pushed that one out to make sure he has some kind of pro column. So now to the cons, right? Not always necessary buy-in or support from middle management, Right. Certain initiatives or projects aren't set up for success due to lack of people, power and resources. However, requirements and priorities are not adjusted to reflex this Mm. commitments and goals pushed down by middle management do not always align with the needs of the project. Occasionally, they are driven by internal agendas or box checking gambling future on success of Anthem. This guy was smelling this a year before. Limited career growth opportunities due to steep management hierarchy. Oh, got to love the hierarchy. That's how shit rolls down. So advice to management. Uh, is this is my favorite part. Ensure work being done is measurably tied to success of the project and the studio. Uh, studio. So obviously questioning the decisions making uh, of leads. Ensure initiatives have the necessary people power and resources to be successful, overworked, right? Mm-hmm. Understaffed. Hopefully Anthem can be the success it needs to be. Well, sorry, bud. Oh. <laughs> Fast for the future. It didn't work out. All right. Oh man. Uh, Anthem, like this- the whole situation breaks my heart, man. It really does. I mean, uh, to me, it's very telling of how, how EA has this habit of releasing titles within weeks of each other, right? So obviously, they saw the clusterfuck that it was already turning out through those milestone green light uh, meetings, <laughs> and saw what Respawn was doing, and saw how it could work, right? Through the data and internal testing, everyone having fun, less risk. Uh, that's why they decided to release, you know, Apex the way it did, caught fire. And Anthem, you know, a few roundtables before, I, I figured that this would happen. It would steal the thunder away from them. And uh, 
this leads to the Kotaku uh, article by Jason Jason Shire. Shire. I think it's right. Shire. Yeah. So uh, this release, if you guys are listening, is exactly a week before it just dropped, and this is an article where he interviewed 19 different uh, anonymous sources that works <laughs> at Bioware, and was able to get some some dirt, basically. Okay. All right, so Larry, um, why don't you kind of give us a, like a, a little overview of what the the highlights of this article was was about? Uh, can you pause one second? Are we live? Yeah, we're live. <laughs> so, all right, hold on then. <laughs> it's the article I saw was the was the Bioware addresses studio issues, and I saw the back and forth where they were like, "We don't support you know journalistic media that's." explicitly written to tear down the culture of a studio and X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. Wow. Uh, so I saw that response before I even saw the original article. Okay. So and, I'll, I'll come in with the original article uh, okay. and then you talk about the response. When I saw this last week, what I was like, Oh shit, it's about to go down. Right. So basically this person, the, the Jason, the uh the journalist yeah if you see talk- him talking to any of your co-workers even just yeah, casually, yeah. <laughs> shit's going down well let's get some history before i go into this right okay, andromeda okay. was a year before it was a bust right we talked about it a bit but they basically spent five years fucking around and uh didn't work out and had a disaster of a launch right animations were rushed Right. Everything was rushed and uh, basically killed that franchise. Right. And uh, they same same story as any AAA studios. Right. They they mess around with all the funds. And it wasn't until the last year and a half where real production was finally pushed to kind of get this game out the door. Right. It's a very classic story and it's very synonymous with AAA studios. This one is very similar. This is a seven plus year game. Mm. Seven and years? Seven years. Seven years for Anthem? Seven years of Anthem. But oh it was my God. this article laid it out where it wasn't until the last year and a half where they kind of rush and put things together, right? To kind of put it out the door. Of course, you know, a lot is it's, uh, they, they help with the Andromeda studio. Which actually, you know, closed down by now because yeah. of the of, of the failure, which was a Mass Effect. So they were half and half, right? They were supporting that studio at the same time making this, and so uh, seven years overall, uh, and it was a bust, right? Overall, the you know it had a lot of buzz. It looked really great, you know. They had the Mass Effect made by the Mass Effect team emblem on it. So people were had high expectations, but when it came out, it was super buggy and there was just not a lot of things to do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it was, uh, and, and, and sort of similar to destiny. It had a rough start, but it you know, Bungie was able to redeem itself and made that game amazing. Right. Yeah. Anthem did not have that celebration. Who knows? Maybe it's still too early to call it, but I would say, uh, two flops in a row makes a studio unsustainable, right? So they are in a very deep, deep, deep waters right yeah. now. And I, I'd actually heard explicitly that, you know, again, saying this, that if they didn't hit the sales goal, that more than likely the Edmonton studio was going to be shut down. Yeah. And so 
I'm now looking at it like there's a death clock over that studio. And I hate to say that, you know, talk casually about something like this when our brothers and sisters jobs could be at risk. Uh, you know, it's don't think that I take it lightly. Like I understand the severity, even though I'm not personally attached to it. It sucks, man. But right. that's, that's the, that's the word of the writings on the walls that I was hearing before Anthem came out, that they were looking for about 8 million copies sold. Yeah. And to break even <laughs> yeah, that demo when the demo came out with it being buggy with the load screen times that people were complaining about with the looting issues the shooting the bullets but like i saw more complaints than anything i didn't see anything where somebody was like hey this is what anthem does really well right like i didn't even get to see that like every part of it every facet of the experience i saw people complaining in droves and i just kind of knew that i was like oh man this sucks this yeah I don't think it's going to go very well for Bioware. Like this might be it. Yeah. And, and it's one of those scenarios where, yes, the, that studio ship mass effect, but the original team of mass effect got dispersed, right? Yeah. Like any studios, like things happen, management changes, people leave for better careers, mm-hmm. less hectic work schedules. And so you're basically talking about a new team. Yes. Yeah. They, that studio, that physical location shipped the game that everyone yeah. loved, but the people involved, there's very few or, uh, you know, not everybody remain intact and yeah. everybody counts. Everybody there that represents any part of that discipline is important to be able to work together and kind of have lessons learned and, yeah. and, you know, move forward and create another hit. Right. And Respawn is one of the only examples out there in the triple a world that was able to keep the core people together and would move from studio to studio despite hardships and uh change of publishers even. Right. So it's very hard to keep a triple a team together that actually shipped the game originally, right. At least the main movers of every discipline uh, uh, remaining intact. So we're seeing the same issue here, right. Even though, uh, a lot of capable people are there. The leads, if anything, uh, you know, have egos that they constantly have to battle with, even when internally the solution was within reach, right? Mm-hmm. The studio knows how to make games. I mean, at least the everybody who are, is a game developer has a sense if the game sucks or not while they're working on it. Right? Suggestions are thrown, meetings are are being had, and demos, internal demos are are being uh, proven. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of time to uh, to discuss how to fix particular problems. But I bet during these seven years, there was a lot of walks. Uh, around the buildings <laughs> after major meetings are being made. And, and through this article, there were a lot of uh, casualties, mental stress. Like there were doctors uh, prescribing to yeah. take, you know, necessary leave of absence to yeah. rest up because of the mental stress that people were having at that studio. Uh, there were accounts of, a lot of these anonymous workers saying that that sometimes they go to work, they go to an empty room, close the door behind them to cry it out. Right. To like, just, Oh man, just to deal with the stress in working. I see what the guy meant by quitting because there was no private space. I just thought, 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like exactly. If you need if you need space to break down and have some privacy for your emotions and you can't find that, you're just stuck with that. Yeah. People are overworked, emotionally unstable. Uh, don't feel like they have a voice. Don't feel like they have the ability to change things, even if they wanted to. And, you know, in a volatile industry. So sometimes you do feel trapped. Sometimes you just hope for the best and carry forward. But seven years is a long time. The way that the way that I look at it too, is like, think about these developers, right? They know before we know how things are going, right? They know before we know if the game is good or if the game is buggy or if the game has issues. And trust me when I say this, I believe this is a general statement I can make. Game developers are incredibly vocal about when their software sucks or when it's not working or when it's not improving. And I've seen many, many, many fights when a game hasn't found its fun, hasn't, hasn't hit its stride yet. You know, it's all coming together and people are just losing their shit over it, not being fun because they're like, my family eats off of this. Like I pay my mortgage with this. Uh, My ability to stay in this country is based on this. And I see people lollygagging or not caring about it or not trying to fix bugs. Like no one goes to their job in game development and I'm willing to make this general statement and just really just at least doesn't give a shit that the game is good. Even if they're the, like I come in to get a paycheck and go home, they still understand the basics of business. Like if, if we Bioware make another flop, we probably won't be Bioware anymore and I won't even be able to get my take home paychecks anymore. I can at least hope that the nine to five game dever at least has that fear instilled in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I promise you, we know, you know, we know, and they exactly. knew ahead of time, they knew ahead of time. And so that adds to the stress in my opinion of like, damn, I know that this is not going in the right direction. And I know that if the studio takes another hit, it's not going to work out. So like I can, I can easily see somebody being completely overwhelmed by seven years where maybe the last three, four and a half were like shit is going left and we can't course correct. We don't have the resources to course correct. We're revisiting decisions and throwing stuff out and doing something new when we already didn't have the money or resources or time in the first place. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I want to hug some people right now. Cause it just, I'm bleeding for them. <laughs> All right, Brandon, you see these two scenes? Yeah, I see it. Okay. Which one do you think was made by me and which one was made by the professional artist? This is a tough one, man. Uh, I'm, I'm going to lean to the left, the left. Uh, it's uh, a trick question. I made them both, but you could tell. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, dude. I got to thank you 100% for showing me about Quixel mega scans and also all the models that they had available for me to just populate my scenes with. People can't tell the difference and I'm taking all the credit by the way. So, Oh my God. Mega scans had up your level. Level design art means a whole different thing with Quixel helping you now. So if you guys want to jump your game no matter what discipline, how small your studio, if you're just working on a project yourself, Quixel Mega Scan is your answer. So go over to Quixel.com on checkout. Make sure to use our code GDU10 to get the first year 10% off. Yeah. This is a major deal. You should take advantage of it right now because photogrammetry assets, photogrammetry texture is the wave of the future. If you don't believe us, if you don't believe Quixel, how about Epic, right? Yeah. So GDC as their showcase, use Quixel demo to showcase how the power of Unreal is up in the skies. Yeah. So this is 
a tool that you can utilize right now. So, so make sure you go to quixel.com, right? At checkout, use GDU 10 to get that discount. And again, that's a discount of every month, January, 10% off, February, 10% off, March, 10% off for the entire year. You're getting that 10% off. No other company gives it to you like that. You definitely got to thank the guys at Quixel for that hookup. Go check it out. GDU 10. So in quotes, you know, from the article, this, I think, sentence sums it up the best. It's a story of a video game that was in development for nearly seven years, but didn't enter production until the last 18 months. (laughs) Thanks to big narrative reboots, major design overhauls and a leadership team that said and was unable to provide consistent vision and unwilling to listen to feedback. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's just classic, classic bad triple a decision and i will say this right the one of the major problems with andromeda was the switching of tools mm-hmm. building the game from exactly scratch because the mass effect series in the last generation rely on unreal engine mm-hmm. right ea like most big publishers right outside of maybe 2k have shifted to their own internal engine for mass massive profits but this is a classic problem with proprietary engine. That engine was built for very specific needs. Mm. And in the needs are if you're not making fucking battlefield. And so the support and anything that they need to do, anything creative really limits the game developer to, to actually create, but like has a backlog of technical issues they had to deal with first and limitations. And so that was one of the major points aside from all the studio politicalness and all that stuff uh, that is playing the same with this studio at in Mountain, uh, where they had to kind of come to grips with frostbite and yeah. uh, learn from scratch and getting that to work to fit their particular game style, an RPG uh, first person shooter versus uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> a battle royale-esque yeah. engine right and it's funny you say all that actually no let me let you finish your thoughts sorry man but i'm gonna jump in on this same bullet point when you're done right so that is basically uh on top of everything else was rolled into this disaster mm-hmm. and uh it's a classic it's a classic example of how games can't just you can't wing it Right. Everything has to be so pristine from the beginning to the end. But in in. In the most important way, like colleagues have to agree. Right. Any any moment, if there's a disagreement or there's a a consensus uh, that isn't being acknowledged that the games suck. Right. Uh, It it, it just gets worse. It just always gets worse. So I think, there. Yeah. So as you were describing, like, you know, the, the features and the things being kind of shoehorned together or evaluated, I'm like, man, this game sniffs of necktie game design. And I use necktie as a bad word in the game industry. It's the like, oh, I'm not a game developer. I'm just in control of the money. And therefore, here's the game that you guys need to make. And this is going to be fun because I see other games that are making money that are doing this thing. So therefore, it will work for us, right? Like that whole fast follow kind of mentality. When I think of a game this big from the studio and from the publisher that it's, you know, brought to us by taking over seven years to be made, we're talking like the ebb and flow of like battle Royale being a thing, you know, coming in and into play uh, and just 
think of the last seven years of what's been hot in the game industry, knowing that neckties are looking at how long this game is taking to get made and then making these suggestions where they're like, hey, no, 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 no. This, we need more of this because this is the new shit. You know what I mean? This is the real shit. This is what has to be in the game. Screw what the creative director and like the lead designer have put into the design Bible, whatever they think they're making. That shit ain't paying the bills for us. You guys got to add some of this over here. I'm the necktie. This has to go in the game. I imagine based on what I'm reading and based on what I'm seeing and the length of time that it took for them to complete, especially when they say had to revisit ideas, that to me smells of necktie game design fast follow new new trends in the industry that we need to follow in order to make this profitable so i think that because anthem is a game that no one knew about right like we don't know what to expect the game had never been done before it wasn't following anything it's easier to make those calls because technically whatever you put out is going to be anthem number one right so if it started a first person shooter and it ended up a battle royale the consumers aren't going to know unless you tell them that that's what happened you know what i mean so God, I can see a lot of things just being like perfectly set up to be incredibly big pains in the ass for the development team. Right. And one of the things that uh, is a common theme with these type of studios is what is really bad for uh, condoning bad behavior is bad behavior that produce successes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So a studio that had Mass Effect under the belt, Dragon Age. Right. If those games were built terribly uh, at the expense of the worker or game developer and produced like this amazing hit, right? Management leadership is not going to change. And in fact, they'll double down. So it's a high stake, high risk type of game uh, for these developers. And uh, it always, always is cool until it isn't cool and it's not like a slowdown of like hey let's move people around and transition to a better workplace it's no it's not it's, it's your ass is fired because we 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 fantastically failed right there's just no money left you're actually owing me money right at this point uh and uh if only things were different right <laughs> and they just move on to the next thing is how the neck and tie people think about it. So a clear example in part of the article to display this type of thinking is that workers at Bioware uh, had, you know, a strong belief during this development time on Anthem that need that drastic things needed to change. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading off the article in quotes right now. Many of the people at the company now grumble at the success of Dragon Age Inquisition in 2014 because it was the one of the worst things that could have happened to him, right? The third Dragon Age, which won Game of the Year in 2014, was a result of brutal production processes, which plagued by indecision and technical challenges, right? It was mostly built over the course of its final year and led to lengthy crunch times and lots of exhaustion. So some of the people in that mountain were so burnt out, they were like, we needed dragon age to change uh to fail in order for people to realize that this isn't the right way to make games right so internally they kind of coined bioware magic that no matter how rough the game production might be things will always 
workout come together in the final months. All right. So this is what they use during Mass Effect Trilogy, Dragon Age, and that is what they're carrying for in Anthem. But the thing is, games being made nowadays are infinitely more expensive, right? Infinitely more expensive and more expected to have to make a hit. And you have to sell more copies and this crowded market and uh, longer development time is actually a disservice to them. There's so much going on in between that, you know, kind of getting the consumer attention when you release your game is uh, it's a lot different than seven years ago, right? There's a whole console cycle away. So it only spells for complete disaster. It's not a, it's not a sustainable model, right? And, you know, at some point we're going to talk about this, but like Naughty Dog is the only one that operates like this that is able to keep doing it because they are able to produce hits. But those guys are the ones that, you know, really, really crunch like crazy. If you guys work in the industry, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I'll I'll jump in on a comment there, but I'll say that whole Bioware magic thing, Mm -hmm. and that snake oil being sold to those developers. You know what I mean? You know what Bioware magic is? We want you to feel less bad about us whip cracking your back to make you guys bust your ass to get this game done. We have one year to do it, and we're not talking man years anymore. We want you guys to just get it done. Uh, eight hours? No, that's you're going home early. 16 hours is a true Bioware developer. You know what I mean? Like, that's real developers, family. We stick together. Like, they'll use every word possible to try to get you to, like, not think that you're being taken advantage of. And on top of that, like, if there's any sort of bonus culture or any sort of like, Hey, if we complete this game, there's like all this stuff waiting for us at the finish line, all these carrots that they throw at the end to get you to suffer and endure. Like, I know I'm painting a bleak picture, but like, I'm not a big fan of, of the, like the, the little guy has to pay. And then the executives get the huge bonuses when success rolls around. You know what I mean? The accolades don't roll far enough down the hill to make crunch like that worth it. Um, it's, it's not worth it in general, but you know what I mean? Don't call yeah. it Bioware magic. That's that's, yeah. that's an insult to their intelligence. Exactly. Snake oil. Snake so, oil. of course, you know, if we move on, we're just 2014, as the article highlights, right? You know, the the, the high hopes and ambitious ideas were, were uh, good, right? Of course, everyone kind of sold their soul and uh, donated blood to make sure that project goes through. It, it always will be a good feeling that it actually was worth it in some way to win game of the year, right? So when EA made had these team health reports, Anthem's morale, a lot of people moved over to Anthem, was among the highest at EA. So this is really normal when you're at the beginning of a project, right? Nothing can go wrong type of mentality. The sky is the limit. Right. So, of course, at the very beginning of the project, everybody loved it and felt bad for colleagues who had to help out with Mass Effect Andromeda, which was at the tail end of their uh, project. And, you know, uh, coincident, well, ironically, in a situation that they will find themselves in. Uh, But it's one of those things like I think within our industry that we are uh, really bad at. Right. Where if it's not. if it has nothing to do with me, right? If it's happening to them, it's not happening to me, right? Which is one one of the reasons why where everybody is so separate. And that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, not together in solidarity in a lot of these issues. 
because we're just all playing lone survivor yeah. in this in this kind of game uh with the corporates uh so that only leads to bad things right so moving on it is a long article i suggest everybody definitely read into it uh because it really really plays out at the timeline of how everything started great and then started to fall apart right so if we move on to 2016 you know they started to really struggle with the online infrastructure so again you got to really think from their standpoint they were mostly known for a single player narrative experience right mass effect is mostly known for that with dialogue trees sure but it's very controlled right to move towards an online centric game like destiny right that's on an engine that nobody is used to and starting to come to grips it just spells all types of trouble down the line so this is part of the struggle they were uh dealing with trying to get everything uh not be so sluggish I wonder on top of the other stuff. I wonder when did they really like do significant stress tests to see like, holy shit, you know what I mean? Like, did they find their upper limits early enough in the project or did those upper limits even matter? Because I know a lot of times that happens where it's like, oh, don't worry, we'll optimize later. So people continue with shitty workflows, making assets that just, I guess, are gargantuan. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, hey, our memory budget is like, five to six times what it should be. And even with optimization, we can maybe scrap like 8% of what's actually there. What we going to do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen before. Yeah. And you know, the technical aspect of building a game is very important. Are the tools in great shape for you even to be creative to start drawing ideas and actually executing on it. And so in quotes, frostbite was full of razor blade is the engine that they use that was uh, originated at dice, which is, uh, which powers battlefield, right? But it's the engine of choice for EA and for all their games to make it work. Right. And, uh, you know, they were hoping that the team could figure it out, you know, make this multiplayer game that they've never done before, but at the same time, use this engine to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, it turns out Anthem was not the lucky charm, was yeah. not this, the game that they could figure this out. And using Frostbite to build an online only action game led to a lot of problems for all designers, artists, and programs. All right. That's pretty much everyone. And so in quotes, Frostbite is like an in-house engine with all the problems that entails. It's poorly documented, hacked together and so on with the problems of an externally sourced engine. Nobody you actually work with designed it. So you don't know why this thing works the way it does, why this is named the way it is. This is the inherent problem of a proprietary engine, right? The difference of having 10 to 40 programmers versus a whole studio built around to support you and having data with third-party companies to kind of accumulate and provide documentation like Unreal or Unity uh, is, is night and day, right? So this is one of the main reasons why games struggle to actually get their idea across because there's a whole pre-production aspect of just figuring out what is named what, where it is, and how do I actually press play and build, right? 
Yeah. And so but, it's just run of the mill stuff here. What scares me about you're having your team switch to this new engine is you're also having them switch to a new IP, which is not that bad. But if you're going to tell me that the IP is as ambitious as like Anthem was, and what was it called beyond before they changed the name to Anthem, like two weeks or something before they told the world about it. Um, Or I forgot what, anyway, that's, that's not part of the point. Why would you make like, why would you make it so that you have to hit a home run on the first swing and you haven't even picked up the bat or know how to use it yet. You know what exactly. I mean? Why mm-hmm. set yourself up for such a massive failure? And I always said, if I ran a game company, I would never forget this lesson. Squaresoft, before it was Square Enix, I remember when like they were just getting into like the PlayStation 2, their first game, and I was like, I thought it was short when it first came out. Now as a developer, I was like, this is super smart. Anybody remember the bouncer? It was like a, it was like a, it was a big game as far as its look and its appeal, but it was a relatively simple, just side scrolling kind of beat em up 3D graphics. It was not ambitious at all. It was brand new. And it was like, hey, let's just figure this shit out. It was like one of their first PS2 games. And they built on that. They tried some ideas. They learned how to use their technology. And then we got the awesome Final Fantasy games after that. You know what I mean? But the bouncer came out first. They 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 picked their look. They set their pipelines. And they just gave it like that first batter attempt. Like, hey, man, just get on base and we'll consider that a win. You know what I mean? Game developers have to start thinking like that again. We have to understand what we're doing with our products, right? And we can't just say, this is going to be a huge, massive success because we say so. Like, no, really evaluate your business strategy when you're making product because free-to-play games are kicking the ass of premium games as far as customer support right now. So you cannot afford to make a flop that someone has to pay for because that makes it even less likely that somebody's going to buy it. Exactly. And, you know, with a long development time with all these issues... And then Destiny comes out, right? And you're kind of like trying to figure out your game and someone has already did it and has already released. Mm-hmm. Naturally, internally, you're going to bring that issue up. But on in this article, it is mentioned that they would bring up the concerns to be ignored and uh, actually dismissed. And the taboo word in the studio is saying Destiny being told repeatedly that this game is not destiny even though it is because the uh it deals with gun combat you're going in and doing raids together spells and things like that so there's a lot of crossover blatantly uh but leadership wants to ignore and never wants to discuss instead of studying the competition Mm -hmm. seeing what you can do differently learning from lessons that they themselves have ran into who are a developer that is very similar to yours, right? The Halo franchise can be compared to the Mass Effect franchise in a very big way, but leadership or uh, management just simply ignoring that is again, another red flag on how you can stay competitive and actually ship this thing. So uh, as we fast forward you know, they just would run into issues over and over and over. And it's just closing in on 2018, 2019. And it, it, it was just repeatedly things would be ignored. Right. So like QA would get to it 
And one of the quotes saying, like, one of our QA people in 2017, 2018, near the end of this, right, have been playing over and over again and say they could get the flow and timing down perfectly. Within 30 seconds or so, the XO jumps off and glides off his precipice and lands. Mm-hmm. So according to two people who were in the room, uh, Patrick Sutherland was stunned. He turns around and says, that was fucking a show it to me again. He was like, that was amazing, exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So this demo that they've been building over the years become the foundation, right, of what their game should be. The seven-minute little, uh, like, target piece, yeah. right? <laughs> and the, when you're so far in development and you finally have a demo that you want to encompass what the whole game is about, extrapolating that little seven-minute demo into a full 10-hour-plus game is the hardest thing you'll ever do right to be able to communicate that in your basic playing telephone down to, you know, the lower ranked uh, developers uh, in communicating these ideas over the outside. It's like a whole set of problems. And so uh, again, this is one of those cases where, you know, they set the impossible expectations and having so little time to actually meet those expectations with the remaining development time again. So E3 demos can be exciting, but uh, it's a tell often told over and over again of uh, setting themselves for failure, right? Because now you put it out there in the world, critical reception validated that. And uh, now you're like really killing your team to meet those expectations that you set and it's just never works out where you're like, it's exactly how we imagine it could be. We just naturally need more time. What's like really sad about all this, man, is like I'm watching AAA game development kill itself, right? It's not that the fans are deciding that they don't want big games that are awesome and well done anymore. Like Sony is continuing to prove that the market is there and the fans will support it. But these just delusions of grandeur, and how products are being mismanaged and how decisions are just steering the ship in every direction except straight. You know what I mean? Eventually getting somewhere and calling that somewhere of a product offering, knowing like, Oh, well, we'll just day one patch it. And then day two patch it. And then day three patch it. And then uh, like, I'm, I'm just watching like top level game development just disintegrate right in front of us, man. It's, I don't want to speak doom and gloom to the listeners. I'm just reflecting as a fan who's been playing games since like 1989. Shit, man, this is really sad to witness. And instead of your development time, you're going to lose some key players, people who just can't take it anymore. And especially the very talented ones that have choices and options to leave and not deal with this drama. They will leave. I mean, guaranteed. Like, why am I here? Like, this is, I'm seeing all the red flags. And nothing's going to change. So I'm going to go over here where they're working on something that seems different and hopefully uh, doesn't run into the same issue. So the main main overall summary of this is things are bad. Things are bad. Warnings and everything was flagged but dismissed. And it's just a classic story of like, you know, they just kept that with their old habits until it doesn't work anymore. And now, you know, they're playing the blame game. So speaking of the blame game, let's go ahead and go to the response. So when that article hit last week on Tuesday, shortly after, because it picked up a lot of uh, buzz, as naturally uh, you would imagine, 
uh, Larry came across the response from Bioware's official block. What were your impressions? What was it about? But it just seemed like another one of those, like, before this gets out of hand, let's respond to it without actually critically taking a look at what's being said, evaluating it and having like a legitimate statement. Um, You know, I hate to say, but PR these days, whenever it's like damage control, it just feels like boilerplate, man. Mm -hmm. It's like protect our integrity, protect our brand. Not necessarily even knowing what the hell you're being accused of in the first place. Deny it. Find out what it was, then deny it some more. You know, yes. We've seen it too many times. It's like one play in the playbook. You know what I mean? And it happens a lot with AAA guys because they would go in their cave for seven years to a decade with nose down and just really ignore the industry changes. Hmm. The journalists seven years ago wouldn't dare to do a tell all piece because they would lose coverage yeah. and, and, and good, uh, good, uh, what do you call it? What's good, that? And a good rapport with that. good rapport with a major publisher. Right. But now it's like, people are a little smarter than that. They are okay. And actually, you know, people are more behind the journalists yeah. that take the step forward for real change. So the main highlight of that response, which showed clearly that they didn't even read the article and just outlined, you know, just outlandishly just denied everything was this paragraph, I think best sums it up, right? So this is a blog, uh, a piece from the blog from uh, Bioware. As a studio and team, we accept all criticism that comes our way for the game that we make, especially from our players. The creative process is really difficult. The struggles and challenges of making video games are very real, but the reward of putting together something we created into the hands of our players is amazing. (laughs) People, in this industry, just wait, just wait for the P word, put so much passion and energy into making something fun. Oh, when you, when you hear a major publisher put the word P word, he's like, it just means trouble, dude. <laughs> we just squeeze the shit out of our devs until they don't want to make games anymore. So we don't see the value in tearing down one another or one another's work. Like you shouldn't be doing that. It's so, it's so mean. We don't believe in articles that do that are making our industry and craft better. Let me just be the first person to say accountability makes everyone better, mm-hmm. especially if you're the one that's being expected to be held accountable for your deeds. Mm-hmm. This is point blank period. And the one thing you don't want to do when something goes viral is to respond with something like that because that's what journalists love, man. They got a response. They got some emotion out of you. And that just gives more reason to retweet my shit. And, and so Jason, like- Jason with his like backup strike, right? With his Rasengan ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> responded with this like, ah, oh, perhaps most alarming about the story and studio in crisis is that dozens of developers Many of them decadently long veterans have left Bioware over the past two years. Some who have worked at Bioware's longest running office in Edmonton talk about depression, anxiety. Many say that them and their coworkers had to take stress leave, a doctor mandated period of weeks, even months worth of vacation. I really cannot count the amount of stress casualties. So this is just a snippet of that article, which kind of like completely display that the response didn't even acknowledge 
and read it, right? So it wasn't about tearing the studio apart. It was literally from the mouths of people that worked there and kind of giving them uh, a, a place to kind of voice their concerns. If me telling the truth about you makes you offended, right? Like who needs to change their behavior? Me telling you the truth or you actually exuding the behavior that has me telling you about the truth. You know what I mean? And that's, that's so 2019 to be ready to fight about somebody being like, Hey man, I I really think you should like stop treating people so bad. You know what I mean? Like that's. Yes. I'm getting frustrated over here. Like I I really am just reading all this stuff and I'm just like, how do people even have these kinds of jobs where. Well, I read through this stuff and my PTSD kicks up, dude. Like, it's like, Oh my God, I've been through this. I know exactly how you guys feel. I mean, it's frustrating because it just teaches me again, not to care as much as your developers, right. At your studio are taking stress leave. They are consoling each other and like, not just one or two. It sounds like there's like groups of these developers. They're taking cry breaks in public in private places. These people are going to Jason Schreier for HR support and compassion. And like, what should I do? And trying to tell the story, not because they want to tattle, but because those types of things shouldn't be happening. And for your company to find this out and then say, oh, we don't want articles out there tearing us down. We're passionate over here. Those are tears of of development fury because they're so excited and believe in what they do. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Come on. man. That's the perfect leeway. So obviously the first response did not work out. It actually invoked more backlash because fuck people read it. (laughs) And so. Now they they came out and was like, hey, we gotta respond better. So the GM of Bioware said this is like, uh, you know, I just want to share and get a note out to you guys and share my thoughts on the the article, Kotaku article. They finally named the article, mm-hmm. acknowledge where it's from. And the online discussion has raised. The article mentions many of the problems in the development of Anthem and some of our previous projects, and it draws a link between those issues and the quality of our workplace and the well-being of our staff. These problems are real, and it's our top priority to continue working to solve them because none of y'all will be applying to us anymore, and we're just getting all this hate, right? That's that's my quote, not his. So returning to his quote, what we found out abounds was the naming of specific developers as targets for public criticism. Oh, no, their leads and management should not be held responsible. That's my quote again. It's unfair and extremely traumatizing <laughs> to single out people in this way. And we can't accept that treatment towards any of our staff. See, this is the road to reverse victimization, right? Because it's uh, you got to get the people back on your side. But when you're so far, so far deep in your knife, <laughs> in your developer, like it's too, it's impossible to pull out and get sympathy, right? So this is the situation they're in. It's not working. That's why we did not participate in the article. It made a statement to that effect. We care about our guys, is what they're saying. When I was offered the opportunity to return to Bioware as GM, came into the role knowing the studio was experiencing significant challenges in team health, creative vision, and organizational focus. I was and continue to be excited to help drive improvements in those areas because I love the studio and above all, I want to create a place where all you all are happy and successful. I'm not going to tell you I've done a good job at that uh, because you're not. And on a day like today, I certainly feel like I haven't. 
Well, what about the last seven years, bro? But some of the steps we've taken towards this includes a more focused studio mission and values within the last two hours of this article being published so that we have clarity of what we are here to do and how we define a high standard for our studio culture. We updated our studio structure two seconds ago around a matrix so that department directors can be fully focused on individual career support and well-being. Uh, we're doing damage control. We're figuring things out. So we're defining a better role clarity so that people you can succeed and better against clear expectations. We are putting in place production changes that will provide for clear project vision as well as significant post-production period that will further relieve pressure and anxiety on teams during development. So more cry rooms. <laughs> more cry rooms, right? Obviously. But I know there's much more to do and we will talk in more detail about those other actions. When we figure the shit out, we have no idea how to fix this. We have been planning in response to internal feedback and postmortems at net sweeps all hands. <laughs> it's like, fuck, <laughs> the, the cat's out of the bag, guys. We got to address this issue. As always, please continue to provide feedback on further steps. Please writing. S- please stop writing more about us. <laughs> Let's let this thing die. We can take uh, to make Bioware the best possible place to work. Oh my God. Okay. I'm committed. I'm almost there. Hang, hang on, hang on Larry. I'm committed to getting us to a place where we're delivering on the highest expectations for Bioware games through a work environment. That's among the very best in the world. With your help, we will get there because we need your money. Please let me know if you like to talk in person and I would let, be happy to set up a ton to hear your thoughts. <laughs> this is the classic CEO saying, my door is always open. So come in here and talk if you dare. No, no it's my door is always open. So be sure to let my secretary know when you plan <laughs> on coming. Yeah. And then I'll make sure that I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but here's what I have to say, man. And this is to all CEOs out there. I've spent a little bit of my life being a quote unquote CEO. And I'm not saying that that makes me qualified. I'm just simply saying this. I believe that to be effective, actually, you know what? Take scratch all that. I used to do a shit. This had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. If you're going to send out a damn letter and like type your thoughts and try to be as like protection based as possible, your authenticity is going to fall flat. 100,000 million percent. There are so many easy ways for you to communicate with people faster than like typing up your like public address. And of course, you're a company that's owned by a company that is publicly traded. I get all that shit. But honestly, you should have got on camera and just be like, look, guys, shit is real messed up right now. And I I promise you, I'm going to figure this out. And here's what I think I can do right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Lay that out. Here's where I actually am acknowledging that I've messed up and how we've messed up. These are the things that have been said that we've done bad. You could even say at that point, and I'm sorry I'm removed from two or three of these things. I'm looking into them now, and I'm sorry that I've been removed, right? I don't always have the convenience of being on the ground floor with everyone. And so that's going to be something I look at as well. Like, just be a person. You're the person in charge. You're not just in charge. You are the person who's in charge. The people who work for you still want to know that they can relate to you, that you have their best interests in mind, and that you have a goddamn heart. You know what I mean? They want to know that, like, you're going to look out for their well-being because they believe that you are, not because you're following fucking protocol and you're like you sent your thoughts to the person who typed up your speech, who then told you, here's what you have to say. Put it out on Twitter. No, look these people in the goddamn face. 
take your licks and lead the fucking company. There you go. That's uh, that's me on my soapbox again. Hey man. So anyone at Bioware EA, if you want to hire us for your PR services, <laughs> <laughs> Larry is available. And I completely agree with you, man. Like here, it's not. There is a place to win the people back, right? Everybody, everybody loves kind of, you know, shitting on the man. Right? Everybody buys into that story. They want to see people, the world burn. But more, more so than that, they love a redemption story. So if you can go out and be honest and say, hey, I, it's not wrong. I won't deny these claims. Obviously, these are problems. And through our internal discussion, these are the action items immediately that I'm going to address. Mm-hmm. You come out honestly like that, people will feel that because they want Bioware people to exist. Uh, you know, they are a major player in the AAA business. I still think they they still swing a lot of weight, and there are still a lot of good people there. Right? Nobody wants to see another 250 plus layoff. Yeah. Right. So even if they if the people are hating on them so hard right now right including us we want to see them turn things around because they have the funds to do so yeah. right so our wishes and our thoughts to everyone that's still there if you're in Edmonton and listening to this episode we are on your side but we have to learn from each other like this past year and a half every two months a studio is laying off a lot of people. Yeah. If we keep thinking ourselves as like, oh, well, that sucks for them, but it doesn't affect me right now. Just wait, man. <laughs> this is a turn-based strategy game. It's going to be your turn soon. Turn-based strategy. <laughs> it's, you can just wait your turn, right? Uh, and it's happening more and more frequently. It's happening more and more frequently. So... You know, start thinking as an individual. Stop thinking of yourself as part of a team, right? Stop putting all your eggs in that basket. It's great. If you're working on a AAA title right now, you always will get that nice little, you know, notoriety. You know, you you can you know, flash that on your resume and be happy about it and be proud of it when it does ship. But always have that side thing going. Please work on yourself. You know, make yourself more versatile. So when this shit hits the fan, you know, you just you just rub it off because you have so much stuff that you're juggling outside of work. And honestly, if the industry is teaching you to not care as much, right? And when I say that, it's not about you slacking off. Do your work. Be a professional. But expect that everything doesn't matter. <laughs> if you come with that attitude and have a side thing going, you always will be a winner. Right? Have a winning mentality. Don't don't rely on other people to kind of cash in on your lottery ticket. Right? Take control. Make your own make your own lotto numbers. Right? Cash in your own money by having some extra skills outside of work. Because this is going to keep happening, guys. And it's a common moniker for game developers out there where you're not a really 
a game developer unless you get laid off once. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a big, uh, it's a, I rather have that kind of reality happen earlier than later. Right. Meaning when you're young and, and, and driven versus when you're like past a certain age with kids and family and less flexibility to kind of take that hit. So in a way, I hope, <laughs> I hope you get laid off really quickly in your career, feel that burn and be able to recover because my heart goes out to the guys who isn't able to rebound as fast, who is stuck in these 10 year plus development times that get, you know, kind of wear down their skills, especially on a proprietary engine that only that studio uses, right? You become quickly irrelevant to other competing studios and are just outdated. And, and now you have kids to feed, wives to please, and uh, husbands to please, whatever. And it's just a tougher situation. So just really flash forward five years ahead that is independent from your main income. All right, you got to think like that because that's the only way that you can assure insurance for yourself, right? And that's my my take. Yeah, well, this is, uh, man, we really went in depth on this episode. And again, obviously our hearts go out to the people who are most uh, severe affected by this kind of news. Um, I don't know what it's like to work at Bioware, nor have I ever. So I'm just letting you know, though, that I believe I've been through similar experiences and I can relate to all the brother and sister game developers over there who are going through tough times. Management, really hope you guys get your shit together. I promise you. The game developers that work for you are excited about being game developers. And in the long run, they want to keep being game developers. If you want their talents to stay there, appreciate their talents. It's, I mean, it's as simple as that, um, I believe. And to all the people listening to this podcast, uh, again, you know, we're just two guys who make games, given our opinions on what we feel like is going on over there, what we hope changes. Uh, thank you all for supporting our podcast every week. Seriously, Patreon supporters as well. Thank you guys. This would not be possible for this long uh, without your support. I've already broken two microphones. Mm-hmm. I not know anybody, but, you know, thank you. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to try to end it in a positive light. I'm Larry Charles. I'm saying good night. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you guys next week. So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.